right, everybody, welcome back to the Warning Track Talk podcast with your host, Dave and Dave. And so, real quick, before we get into things, I just want to let you all know that if you don't know already, we do have a Twitter page at WTT underscore podcast. So, if you want to go and check us out over there, uh, please go check us out. We do different stuff like polls and different posts about the Phillies and different updates regarding the podcast and stuff like that. So, please go and check us out over on Twitter if you have a Twitter account or if you don't. And you want to stay in touch, then go and create one and participate in the different polls and different stuff that we try to do to interact with our audience. But getting into things, uh, we are going to be covering the MLB All-Star break, starting with the Home Run Derby. And so, man, was it a good one, but a disappointing one for the Phillies fans overall. And um, just quick touching on it, Kyle Schwarber was a participant in the Home Run Derby, for those who didn't know, for your fight and fills. And, uh, well, the first round wasn't exactly ideal, as he ended up losing to Albert Pujols. Pujols hitting 20 homers and Kyle hitting 19. And now, Dave, I, I don't know about it for you, but it just seemed like Schwarber just could not get it going. And um, they just it, it seemed like, um, what was it? So the, the the pitching too, I felt like was a little bit erratic for um I I forget Schwarber called his uh, pitcher that he used for the home run derby money, but I forget his exact name. But yeah, he was absolutely erratic. Schwarber uh, just couldn't stay consistent, and I don't want to place it all on the blame of the pitcher. Uh, but Schwarber just could not. Um, he couldn't get into a groove. He would hit you know two or three in a row, and then it, he would kind of drop off. And then you had um. You know, him get beat by Albert Pujols, who actually did very good in the first round. And I kind of saw it coming. When you saw Albert uh, get into his groove, be able to hit them, he kind of knew that Albert was just in a better place uh, to be able to win than Schwarber was. Um, but moving on in the first round, uh, Juan Soto ended up defeating Jose Ramirez, 18 home runs to 17. Uh, and then the young phenom Julio Rodriguez actually smoking Corey Seager in uh, what I thought was going to be a uh, Corey Seager win in that round. And it end up, ended up being Julio Rodriguez who stole the show in the entire home run derby, in my opinion. Uh, he won that round 32 to 24. And then Pete Alonso versus Ronald Acuna. We all knew Pete Alonso was going to end up winning that one. And that was just the case winning 20 to 19. <clears throat> and then going on to round two, we had Albert Pujols uh, versus Juan Soto. And Juan Soto just beat him out 16 to 15. And Julio Rodriguez ended up beating out Pete Alonso, two-time victor in the Home Run Derby over the past two years in 2020 and 2021. He got beat 31-23. to And so in the final round, we would have Juan Soto versus Julio Rodriguez. And to be honest, I really wanted Julio Rodriguez to win this one, but that ended up not being the case as uh, Juan Soto wins the Home Run Derby 19-18. and. I, I don't know, Dave. I mean, Julio Rodriguez throughout the entire thing just put on a show. I think he stole the audience. Um, he stole me away from uh, Kyle Schwarber. Obviously, Schwarber lost in the first round, like we said. But um, Rodriguez just putting on a show. Uh, he, he's really won um, a lot of the fandom, I think, in Major League Baseball. Um, and not only through his performance in the Home Run Derby, but just as a player. He's electric. He's exciting. And uh, Dave, I guess that uh, – That'll allow me to throw it over to you. What were your thoughts on the Home Run Derby? I thought it was super exciting, uh, disappointing uh, even more because Schwarber lost in the first round. But um, what are your thoughts? 
It was a good one. Uh, it was a really entertaining home run derby. Uh, I'll give myself credit because I did predict that Julio Rodriguez was going to have the fantastic derby, uh, but that was about all I got right in the predictions we did in the last podcast. Uh, yeah, Kyle Schwarber was definitely disappointing. Uh, I thought that he was the most disappointing contestant of them all, to be honest with you. Um, as you mentioned, his his pitcher money was not so money uh, in, in this uh, home run derby. <laughs> a lot of the pitchers I thought were too far outside where Schwarber was forced to take them to left field. And uh, Dodger Stadium is not an easy ballpark for left-handers to hit in, especially to go opposite field. Um, so Schwarber was definitely against it, in my opinion, uh, especially against Pujols because, you know, he was a righty. I thought that that favored him a little bit. But, you know, Albert is also like 40 years old. So, you know, definitely he... I guess was technically at the disadvantage, but I thought Albert Pujols put up a very good first round, as you said too, Dave. Um, I think he hit thirteen. I th- didn't didn't they tie at thirteen, Schwarber and Albert? Uh, they did. Yeah. yeah, after the extra time. Yeah, and then they went to the uh, the one minute uh, extra round, um, where Albert put up seven in one minute, which is a lot. Uh, very much so. And Schwarber put up six. There was some controversy where there was a video put out on Twitter where it was like, oh, well, you know, the ESPN announcer, or I forget what it was or who he was at this point. Um, but he called that, it may have been Carl Ravage. It may have been Carl Ravage. Um, called that one of the balls was out, but it really was on the warning track. And they were saying, well, did Schwarber technically get the 20? Was he cheated out of it? And I went back and watched it, and, and he did hit 19. He didn't get the 20. The one ball that Ravage thought went out uh, was actually on the warning track and didn't get out. That's why I'm not the biggest fan of the whole timer thing in the Home Run Derby. Look, I think the Home Run Derby is the best event in sports uh, for All-Star Weekend of any of the sports. Um, but the timer is something that I would like to see go away. I think it's too confusing. It's confusing for the fans. It's confusing for the pitcher, the batter, and it's confusing for the umpire as to keep track of the home runs. Uh, I would rather much see how it was before where you have 10 outs and see, you see what happens. I also would have liked it more, I think, if they didn't do the one minute, uh, extra bonus or not bonus, where if you're tied, like Albert and Schwarber went to one minute, I would have rather just had the straight swing off. Uh, where each hitter gets three swings and see what happens from there rather than have that a little bit later if they tied again. Um, so that was, that's just my personal opinion on it. Uh, but Julio Rodriguez definitely put up the best show of them all. I just thought he used his, uh, his stamina early on in this home run derby to beat Corey Seager and to get out of the uh, second round against Pete Alonso. And even though Schwarber was disappointing, he never really got on that roll for Schwarbombs. Uh, it was great to see Pete Alonso lose. Uh, you know, he takes the home run derby like it's the World Series and, you know, lifting, you know, 200 pounds before going out to hit home runs in a very, uh, you know, hard for, uh, you know, hard on your body home run derby activity. That was probably not the smartest activity for Pete Alonso to do. And it showed because the rookie Julio Rodriguez destroyed him in the second round, uh, which was good to see. Um, and, you know, I thought that Julio had the best chance to win. I, I think that he was definitely the best contestant. I would like to see him do it again, uh, next year when the home run derby is in Seattle, which is his home ballpark, of course. Uh, but, you know, credit to Juan Soto. Um, he got on a roll at the end. He didn't have to put up as many home runs to get out of the first couple rounds. Ronald Acuna was disappointing, so Soto kind of got an easy first round. Uh, and it showed because he really got on a roll, uh, in that third round and was able to just have enough. Uh, to get past Julio Rodriguez and to win the Home Run Derby. Uh, but it was definitely a fun Home Run Derby. 
Definitely fun. I thought that an underrated performer, I'm trying to touch on everybody in this, was Corey Seager. Uh, he had a really good first round. I think he had 23 or 24 homers, but Rodriguez put up like 32. So, you know, it was nearly impossible for Seager to catch up to him. Uh, but overall, it was a great home run derby. It was fun to watch. It was disappointing for Schwarber, of course, uh, but it was good to see someone else than Pete Alonso uh, win the home run derby. Right. And I think if we wanted to take away anything from this home run derby, it was seeing that Pete Alonso would not be the victor in the home run derby. And uh, he wasn't. So, I mean, there's a, there's always an upside. And that's not just me saying it because I want somebody to lose, but I think it's more or less for somebody else to win. You know, this this home run derby is meant for contestants to go up against each other and, um, you know, to try and, you know, compete. And that's just what a lot of these guys did. And Julio came out on top over Pete. And uh, I mean, I'm glad he did. I think he deserves it. The momentum that he had and the pitcher that he had, uh, it, it was just altogether consistency for Julio Rodriguez. And I don't want to make this all about him, but he really did steal the show. And uh, just looking at round one, Julio Rodriguez actually had um, the farthest total distance. I'm um, looking at this on the MLB app. It says that his total distance was 2.54 miles compared to um, some other guys who only hit them about a mile and a half. Like Kyle Schwarber only hit it 1.51 miles. Uh, Pujols 1.54. So a lot of guys like that only doing about one and a half miles, whereas Julio Rodriguez ended up eclipsing two and a half. So it just shows you the type of tear that he was on in that home run derby, how consistent his pitcher was and how consistent he was at being able to get the ball out of there. So just overall, an exciting uh, an exciting home run derby, and I'm glad I was able to catch it. And um, yeah, I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you all were able to watch it. It was a ton of fun. And uh, Juan Soto, the Washington National, you know, obviously Philly's rival coming out on top. Uh, he'd be another nice story to hear. Um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, he won the home run derby and was able to, uh, you know, help the Washington Nationals gain a little bit of recognition, I guess, even though they're, you know, they haven't been that great. So um, good for him. Good for the and Nationals. even though they're going to trade him in another 14 days, most exactly. likely. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was what I was going to get to, too. It's just like, you know, I, I think this only uh, sends the Juan Soto stock higher just because Juan Soto's been hot as of recently, uh, winning the home run derby and uh, getting the extra monetary reward, um, being in the all-star game. Like all this stuff helps Juan Soto in um, upping his value and, which, you know, like it can pay off for the Nationals if they decide to trade him, which Dave, like we brought up in the last podcast, is he going to get traded? I mean, uh, the likelihood of it is probably not just because his trade value I, is so I high. He's think one of the best in the game. Not to cut you off, but I actually think that unless the last podcast, I was basically saying that I don't think there's any chance of him getting traded. But I think it's <clears> higher <throat> now. Uh, there's been some stories that have come out over the past couple of days. I think there was a story rumored that Scott Boris said something that uh, that the Nationals didn't even offer Soto uh, a private jet or plane to get to the All-Star game. Um, something along those lines. Uh, so I, I definitely think there's a better chance now than it was before the home run derby. Um, and remember too, Soto went on that crazy, uh, streak last year after the all-star game where he went on a complete tear. So I think teams are going to look at that again and say, maybe he's more of a second half player and, you know, trade a lot for him. Yeah, well, I, I mean, as as long as teams know the value, and I'm sure that they do, of Juan Soto, I mean, it's hard not to recognize the talent that he has, then I don't see a trade not happening at all. 
You know, I, in my opinion, I just think that the value for Soto is so high that it, it would take a really sizable package like we brought up in the last podcast to be able to land, land a guy like Juan Soto. You know, so uh, that that's where I'm coming from in that regard. Like we mentioned too, like Josh Bell is another big bat that they have that um, could, you know, pull some uh, trade value. Uh, Nelson Cruz, who's a little bit older, might not pull so much. But Juan Soto, definitely that uh, that coin to flip to see whether or not he ends up getting traded. I think the big thing too would be like, you know, just because he was in the home run derby, I don't think that he would ever request a trade, but I think that would help to get a trade done. Obviously, it would put pressure on the Nationals to be able to trade him. Um, I, I know a lot of Nationals fans would be shaking their heads. Um, and I don't I, like I don't think that that would be a class move. Obviously, Soto wouldn't do that. And if he does, you know, I bite my tongue, I guess. But I don't think he does that being the victor of the home run derby. So uh, we'll see what happens. We'll we'll see um, whether or not Soto gets traded and we'll see the prospect package in return if indeed that does happen. But until then, we'll be uh, looking at news and trying to find out uh, things about Juan Soto and different stuff regarding the uh, trade deadline, which we'll touch on in a little bit after uh, after we go over this All-Star game. So, Dave, um, that brings me to the point of asking you, is there anything else that you want to cover uh, regarding the Home Run Derby, Juan Soto news, or anything like that before we get into the MLB 2022 All-Star Game? Not really. The All-Star Game was uh, was was definitely interesting, too. Uh, I'll leave it at that, but we'll get into it. It was, it was definitely... Uh, it was low scoring, of course, uh, the All-Star game. It kind of always is, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I definitely think there were some interesting topics to cover off of this All-Star game. But Home Run Derby was great, and, and I'll leave it at that in terms of the Soto conversation. Right. And um, yeah, I guess getting into the All-Star game, I just wanted to touch on this real quick. Um, celebrating Jackie Robinson's uh, wife's 100th birthday yesterday. Uh, Mookie Betts was able to give a nice speech, so that was nice being able to pay some homage to uh, the Robinson family. Uh, but getting into the All-Star game, it was a good one. You had a lot of mic'd up players and a lot of personalities, a lot of different personalities at that really uh, showing off inside of the ballpark at Dodger Stadium. And so let's get into the madness, starting with Clayton Kershaw, who got the starting nod for the NL All-Star team in the top of the first. Shohei Otani, after announcing his strategy, first pitch, full swing on the mic, did just that with a single in the center field off the end of the bat, leading off the game. And then he would later be picked off by Kershaw on a sneaky move to first base. <clears throat> Kershaw has a great pickoff move, and we don't talk about that on the podcast, but I think it would be worth going back and checking it out for anybody who's wondering how legendary of a pickoff move Clayton Kershaw has, I think. Uh, go ahead and check that out. Um, but Kershaw had a pretty good first inning, uh, fastball sitting around 90, uh, slider was really, really good, getting a lot of swing and miss, striking out Aaron Judge in the top of the first. And then, um, yeah, going on to the bottom of the first, the NL would get the bat swinging early, but that, sadly, that's just about as much offense as we got. <clears throat> Shane McClanahan got the starting nod for the American League All-Star team, uh, the young pitching phenom for the Rays, but... He got rolled by the NL offense, giving up two runs on, I believe it was four hits. And Manny Machado came up to the plate in the inning and hit a grounder hard up the middle. But it was flagged down by Andres Jimenez, the Guardian second baseman, who flipped it behind his back to White Sox shortstop 
Tim Anderson and he made a solid throw to first base to finish off the best defensive play in the Midsummer Classic, in my opinion. Very hard to beat. Um, just a really good infield play. Very quick, sleek, and smooth was the play. And um, later in the inning, Paul Goldschmidt ended up hitting his first home run in the All-Star game despite being an All-Star seven times. And so that that was interesting to me. Goldschmidt being a really good offensive player, has solid defense over there at first base, but getting his first home run in uh, his seventh appearance. And then <clears throat> going on to the pitching side of things for the American League, Alec Manoa was very, very good in the All-Star game. And now I think he was kind of um, – a guy who coming into the season, people knew he had talent, but they didn't know that he was going to be this great, including myself. And he had some really good stuff working in the All-Star game yesterday. He struck out three and walked one in the second inning. He had a nasty sinker slider combo. Um, I believe some of the pitches were called by John Smoltz as well, uh, broadcaster and former pitcher of the Atlanta Braves. And um, the one walk, I, I believe, came on a uh, hit by pitch. From Alec Manoa, I believe Smolty called a slider. Manoa threw it inside and clipped Jeff McNeil on the cleat. So uh, backdoor slider, it ended up coming to be, but just not the way uh, you know the, they wanted in terms of desired results. But um, going to the top of the fourth, Tony Gonsolin, another Dodgers starting pitcher, uh, having a tremendous season, ended up giving up five runs in his last outing, and he had some rocky moments in this one with Giancarlo Stanton and Byron Buxton going back to back. Both hitting home runs deep over the left field wall. And I'll get into a little bit of stat cast for Giancarlo in uh, just a few minutes. But yeah, Tony, just getting uh, just getting the ball golfed out of the stadium. Well, not really golfed out of the stadium, but you know what I mean. The ball got demolished. And uh, Gonsolin just leaving pitches over the plate did not have a good outing in this All-Star game. But nevertheless, um, I guess... You know, you have to just soak in the moment and just be able to go out there and, um, you know, put your glove on and pitch. And Tony Gonsolin got through the inning and was able to do just that. But um, there were some other mic'd up moments that were pretty good with Giancarlo Stanton, who said he used to sit in left field at Dodger Stadium growing up and he hit the home run where he used to sit. So I thought that was pretty cool and a little nostalgia for Giancarlo Stanton. And uh, some other guys that were mic'd up, Garrett Cole and Max Freed, uh, they had the chance to have the conversation with some of the guys in the booth. And they're two of the best headed for Cooperstown. I don't think that's really up for debate. Um, but they jawed about pitching, hitting home runs as pitchers, the DH and more. So I thought that was interesting. I believe John Smoltz said that he hit five in his career and Garrett Cole only had um, – Three. So uh, I, I thought that was pretty cool being able to draw about some uh, different topics like that. It's always neat to hear from some, from some players and get a feel for their personalities. Garrett Cole, definitely um, a little bit more enthusiastic about things. Max Freed, usually the chill guy in the back. So um, just really cool to see. But um, let's talk about another big moment in the game. Big Poppy in La Casa. I'll tell you, Dave, that was probably one of my favorite segments in the All-Star game. Uh, we got a little bit of a deep dive into what the AL All-Star dugout was like. And um, he spoke to some players. He spoke to Miguel Cabrera out there uh, on deck, as well as Kyle Tucker. Um, well, Kyle Tucker was on deck. Uh, Miguel Cabrera standing off to the side. And then you had Jose Ramirez, who, well, he didn't really speak any English, but um, you know, Big Poppy will translate. And then the Bash Brothers, of course, Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. And Vladdy Guerrero Jr. as well, uh, superstar like Rafael Devers, Alec Manoa, and 
uh, former teammate and player on the Boston Red Sox, J.D. Martinez. So uh, getting a lot of coverage in this All-Star game and getting a taste of a lot of the different personalities. Uh, but there were also some other really fun moments with uh, Nasty Nestor. Uh, of course, if you don't know him by that, uh, Nestor Cortez of the Yankees and his counterpart, Jose Trevino, the catcher. Uh, he's the young, talented catcher of the Red Hot Yankees right now. And uh, they were working together, calling some pitches. And uh, Trevino later in the game, he got a chance to hit, slapped a single down the right field line and was in utter disbelief for the entire moment. So um, it was refreshing to see a Major League Baseball player having the thought process of, what a fan on the sidelines would think being in his shoes. I don't know. There was just something humble and refreshing about that moment. And it was super innocent. I don't know. There, there was just something about it that I loved. But anyway, um, you'll get those moments when you have players mic'd up, I guess. And then you had Liam Hendricks, who had a pretty hilarious moment with Julio Rodriguez. Uh, as Rodriguez caught the ball, he thought about throwing the ball to a fan. And Liam wanted the ball and had to scream at him to give him the ball. And I thought it was funny. He was screaming, Julio, Julio, <laughs> give me the ball. I, I don't know. I just, I thought that was funny as well. So, uh, just a lot of really good moments in this All-Star game. Um Unfortunately, uh, the All the AL All Stars ended up beating uh, the NL All Stars three to two, and um, let's not forget about uh, Kyle Schwarber. Um, sadly, he went zero for two with a ground out to shortstop in the seventh uh, to Corey Seager, and then struck out in the ninth with one out. And in, in uh, what could have been a chance to really hit a home run and tie the game, but uh, we we just didn't see the Schwarber shot there. And um, yeah, the, the NL ended up losing three to two in the ninth straight AL All Star victory. And so for the Phillies, not getting too much representation because Bryce Harper's on the injured list, and then Kyle Schwarber uh, getting knocked out in the first round of the home run derby, and then going zero for two with a strikeout against Emmanuel Class A, and that. And now I wanted to t- uh, to uh, touch on that real quick because even though the All Star game is sort of a recreational. Uh, sequence of events and it's for fun and it's for enjoyment. It's also supposed to be pretty competitive. And Kyle Schwarber ended up getting a cutter right down the middle of the plate and he didn't swing at it, ended up striking out looking. And that's something that bothered me a little bit. I know um, Emmanuel Classe ended up striking out the side. So, um, you know, you want to look at from from that angle too. But Kyle Schwarber definitely should have been on that one. Uh, Schwarber is a mistake hitter and there's no real exception to that. But um, just let one slide uh, for Emmanuel Classe in that ninth inning where they could have possibly tied it up at three. And I believe um, if it is tied up at three, then they have this little home run derby contest, Dave, um, that if you want to cover in a minute, then you definitely can. I'll hand it over to you in that instance. But um, real quick, one more thing. After the game, uh, the All-Star MVP was awarded to Giancarlo Stanton after his efforts hitting the two-run jack in the top of the fourth inning. And believe it or not, StatCast uh, said that the home run exited at 111.7 miles per hour and traveled 457 uh, feet. So it was a mammoth home run by Giancarlo, but very Giancarlo-esque, if you ask me. So Dave, if you want to uh, give us your opinion of the uh, All-Star game, your thoughts and um, stuff related to the All-Star game, I guess. Well, the ninth straight loss uh, for the National League, so definitely disappointing. They uh, can never beat the American League. It seems like they may never beat them again. Um, I thought that this was one of their best chances they had. 
Uh, Shane McClanahan and Tony Gonson were the only two pitchers who gave up runs, uh, and they both gave up multiple runs. McClanahan gave up two. He wasn't very good, and Gonson, I thought was awful, gave up all three runs uh, that the American League scored in this one. Um, Clayton Kershaw got the start. That was uh, definitely interesting to see in uh, LA at Dodger Stadium. I thought that Sandy Alcantara, we talked about this in the last episode, should have gotten the start. I don't think the All-Star game should be something uh, where you just get the start because, you know, you're at your home ballpark. Uh, Don't get me wrong, Kershaw has been absolutely fantastic, but uh, you want the best player, the best pitcher to start, and I thought that Alcantara deserved that nod. Uh, he did eventually pitch in the second inning, did Alcantara, did a very good job. Uh, so that was nice to see, of course. Schwarber, uh, you know, as you said, Dave missed the cutter, uh, did strike out, uh, two at bats. His first plate appearance was pretty boring too. I think he grounded out, right? He grounded out, pretty sure. What, uh, Schwarber's first appearance? Yeah, in the seventh, he grounded out to Corey yeah. Seager. Okay. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was definitely disappointing too. So, uh, an all around kind of bad all star weekend for Kyle Schwarber, but it was still good to see him represent the Phillies. You know, he's had an amazing season. We've talked about that in so many podcasts, especially June with all the Schwarber bombs. Uh, so definitely uh, my favorite part, you brought it up too, Dave, was Big Poppy, you know, in the, in the American League dugout and, you know, the energy, the enthusiasm that he has for baseball, uh, is definitely unmatched and that was fantastic to see. And Major League Baseball should do more moments like this. Um, I wasn't so much, uh, a fan of the interviews, uh, in between. Uh, I know they had a few interviews in the beginning of the game. It took like, the game was supposed to start at eight. It didn't start to near 830. Um, and then, you know, they had some interviews last night too, in between the home run derby. I just thought the interviews there were a little bit too much. I felt like they were kind of added in there. Like they almost had to get the interviews in. Uh, I liked them more when they were natural. I thought that they were more natural last night in the all-star game, especially during the game. Uh, you know, the conversation with Garrett Cole and Max Fried, I thought was good. The whole big poppy look in the dugout, uh, talking to Dusty Baker about, you know, uh, if you want to use me in the ninth inning, I'm available to pinch hit and uh, big poppy definitely is going to be in the game of baseball for a long time. And that's great to see because he's excellent uh, for the sport, excellent for the growing of the game. Uh, and that segment was absolutely fantastic. So good job by Fox. I also thought that Alec Manoa was fantastic uh, throughout the All-Star game. He had an interview, which was amazing. And then, of course, too, when he was on the mound uh, with the mic, uh, talking to John Smoltz. Yes, uh, Smoltz, I guess, technically did uh, kind of help him hit Jeff McNeil with that backdoor slider, telling him to throw it. But it was definitely a great moment in the All-Star game. And those mic'd up moments are definitely what helps uh, to get the younger fans, I think, more involved. And that's uh, great to see as well. Uh, and the All-Star game, in my opinion, is just the best All-Star game in all sports. And, you know, that's really, I don't think that's a biased opinion. You know, in basketball, they don't play defense. The score is 160 to 160. Um, you know, the NHL All-Star game is like they play three periods of like 10 minutes and it's like blah. And the Pro Bowl, you, you know how that is. It's really not even an All-Star game. So, you know, the fact that the guys take it seriously uh, and, you know, play to win, I think that that's really great to see. Um, now, the last thing I'll bring up about the All-Star game was I actually think that the MVP should not have been Stanton. Uh, I think that Byron Buxton deserved the MVP. I thought he had the better game and also did technically have the go-ahead home run, the go-ahead hit to win the game uh, for the American League in the uh, the fourth inning against Tony Gonsolin. So just my opinion, I thought that Buxton deserved a little bit more than Stanton. Uh, but overall, I think both had great games. Uh, of course, hitting home runs and helping the American League to their ninth straight victory. Yes, nine straight victory, unfortunately. But hopefully by the time the All-Star game comes to Philadelphia in 2026, the uh, National League will be able to get out of that slump. 
Yeah, we can only hope, Dave. And just touching back on the Stanton MVP real quick, um, I do think Buxton had a great game too. Um, I, I think that probably the reasoning behind uh, Stanton getting the pick was, you know, obviously the two-run shot was great and helped to uh, even out the score. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if there's bias there, but there could definitely be some bias because of uh, Stanton growing up going to Dodger Stadium and sitting in left field and being able to hit that home run where it was. Um, maybe that plays a part. I don't know. But, um, you know, both players did tremendous. And, um, you know, they, they all, all stars ended up coming out on top because they, they played better. You know, they had uh, they had some really good pitchers go out there and uh, just really great moments overall in the all-star game. But um, one more thing that I wanted to bring up about it before we continue was about uh, Dusty Baker. And so Dusty ended up managing the AL all-stars for um, anyone who doesn't know, he is the current manager of the Houston Astros. And um, when the American League ended up getting the lead, uh, Framber Vail, uh, Valdez ended up coming into pitch. And I, I believe that was sort of strategically trying to get Framber in there to get an Astro to get the win in the All-Star game. And that's just what happened as Fra- Framber came out with the win going 1-0 and Gonsolin getting the loss at 0-1 with a 27 ERA in this one, but that doesn't really matter. And then Emmanuel Classe ended up getting the save striking out the side. He was really good. So, um, overall... Great game, good showing, uh, great television, and it was entertaining pretty much the whole time through. I was um, very impressed with the showing and uh, just overall great uh, great interviews, great mic'd up moments, and a great game, Dave. Um, anything else you want to say before we move on? No, it was uh, a great game. So that's, that's where I'll leave it. Uh, hopefully the National League can win next year. Yeah, Dave, like I said, we can only hope, cross our fingers, and uh, by the time they come to Citizens Bank in uh, 2026, uh, hopefully we have some more players to represent uh, the Phillies in the All-Star game uh, by that point, and uh, a lot more young talent to come our way. Uh, But getting into some predictions, we have the Cubs series up, up next for the Phillies at the bank. And the first game being on Friday, July 22nd at 7.05 Eastern Standard Time. And so it looks like Justin Steele, the lefty for the Cubs, who's three and six with a 4.15 ERA and 79 punchies, will go against Kyle Gibson, who's been pretty good in his last few starts. He's five and three with a 4.35 ERA and 80 punchies on the season. And so uh, it looks to be a matchup where uh, the Phillies are going to be versing a, a losing ball club, uh, a club who's lost almost twice the amount of um, of wins that they have. So I, I think the Phillies have to go into this uh, series and take advantage, Dave. And uh, my predictions are that the Phillies will sweep. And uh, some individual player predictions that I have, let me pull them up real quick, are Nicholas Castellanos. I can't believe I almost forgot that without looking at, uh, you know, without looking at the notes. I couldn't remember for some reason. Uh, I don't know. I feel like Nick Castellanos is going to have a big second half. And I think he's going to do great. Uh, I know his numbers against lefties are usually uh, better than versus righties. And the Cubs have two lefty pitchers going in this one with Justin Steele. And I believe it's Drew Smiley in game three. So uh, I, I think Castellanos has the upper hand. I think the second half will treat him well. And then for the Cubs, I have Ian Happ. And now the reason that I picked Ian Happ was um, not just for reasons of, um, you know, to thinking that he's going to perform well, but I think this is going to be a pivotal series for his future. And the reason I say this is because Ian Happ is a big, um, 
he's a big piece on this trade market right now. And there's a lot of places that Ian Happ could go. And I think the Phillies are one of those places. Happ can play center field. And I think that's a hole that the Phillies have. Um, so if Ian Happ does well at the bank, I think the Phillies could really be aggressive in trying to go after Ian Happ because you want players that can play well in the home ballpark. And uh, if Ian Happ can do that, then I think he would be a great candidate for the Phillies to pick up, Dave. But what are some predictions that you have for this Cubs series? Dave, uh, I am with you. I think the Phillies sweep the Cubs. I think they come back home to the Phillies and play well. Uh, you and I were talking about before the podcast, the Cubs are really bad. And I, I honestly didn't know that they were this bad. I don't watch a whole lot of NL Central Baseball. Um, just because it's kind of usually on when the Phillies are on. And, you know, I do watch a lot of baseball. I'm watching highlights, you know, a lot constantly, really. Perhaps as my, my parents would say a little bit too much sometimes. Uh, but, uh, I didn't notice that they only had 35 wins. I thought that they were at least kind of near 40, uh, or closer to 40, uh, than what they are. Um, and, you know, I did some research. Uh, their pitching is really bad. Uh, their bullpen is not as bad as their starters. Uh, their relief pitchers have an earn run average of 4.30, uh, and their starters have an earn run average of near five. Uh, their best starter is Wade Miley, and he's only pitched in 19 innings. He's the only pitcher that, uh, on their starting rotation staff that has uh, lower than a four earned run average, and he's not even pitching. He's hurt, I believe. Uh, so definitely uh, some starting pitching struggles for the Cubs. Uh, their lineup is solid. Uh, I definitely think the Phillies are going to have to work around some hitters in their lineup, as you said, one of them being Dave uh, Ian Happ. I think it's a great pivotal series, as you said, for him too. Hopefully the Phillies uh, are interested in Happ. I think he would be a pretty good uh, choice for Dave Dombrowski and the front office to go after. He's probably going to cost a lot. Um but we'll see what happens. Uh, my pick uh, for the Phillies, I'll start there, is Reese Hoskins. The Phillies face two lefties this weekend, uh, scheduled to start for Chicago, uh, and I think that Reese is going to take advantage of that. He's also been doing fairly well recently, uh, had a decent series in Miami. Uh, and my pick for the Chicago Cubs is going to be Seiya Suzuki, uh, of course, coming over from Japan this last season. He's 27 years old. He has an uh, average of 272 this year. Not a lot of home runs, but I think his swing, uh, his right-handed swing, works well for Citizens Bank Park uh, this weekend, uh, and I think my pick will be Seiya Suzuki. But to be honest with you, I really don't think that any Cub has a great series this weekend. I hope that the Phillies will dominate, uh, and I think that they will do that uh, this weekend against the Cubs. So you yeah, sweep for me. Reese Hoskins and Seiya Suzuki are my picks for individual players. A couple of things I just wanted to say really quick, too. Uh, the scheduled pitching matchups Friday, it's Steele against Gibson. Saturday, it's Stroman against Wheeler. And on Sunday, it's uh, Drew Smiley for the Cubs. The Phillies have not yet announced their starter. Um, they cannot bring back up Christopher Sanchez uh, because he has to stay down in the minor leagues for at least 15 days. Uh, Bailey Falter may be available. We'll see. Uh, so Sunday will definitely be uh, interesting for the Phillies. And the last thing, I know I said the last thing a couple seconds ago, but this is the definite last thing. I'll leave it here. Uh, is that Friday and Sunday are actually not on regular TV. Uh, Friday night is an Apple TV game. Uh, now, I believe this year it is free if you have an Apple device. Uh, I'm not so sure on the specifics behind it. Uh, I'm sure that you could find it out by doing a quick Google search, but just wanted to let everybody, everybody know that it is not on regular TV. It is on Apple TV. Saturday is regular, I believe, on NBC Sports Philadelphia, and Sunday uh, is a 
early morning game. It starts at 12. It's on Peacock. Uh, and that is free for most people as well. There may be a, sub- a subscription fee for some people. I'm not exactly sure. I know that I technically have it for free. Um, but yeah, so Friday, Apple TV, Sunday, Peacock. And I'm sure, Dave, you probably would have gotten into the pitching matchups and stuff like that. But I just wanted to put that out there. But I think the Phils sweep the Cubbies. Right, Dave. No, it's it's fine. Definitely. Uh, I just wanted to point out real quick, Dave. Like you said, um, the Apple TV Plus and the the Peacock broadcast for games one and three. At least we'll have game two where uh, Zach Wheeler faces Marcus Stroman. I mean, um, you know, hopefully Wheeler has his stuff. I know as of recently, uh, Wheeler's velocity's been a little bit down. But uh, having some time to hopefully recoup during the All-Star break should hopefully bring him around. So, it'll it'll be something to watch for. And um, Dave, like you said uh, with Peacock, I believe I have an account as well. So, I will be able to watch uh, Game 3. But sadly, I don't have an Apple device. I have, um, I have an Android. <laughs> so, I won't be watching it on my phone, that's for sure. Um, but... My sister has an iPhone, so uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll be uh, telling her to watch it on there. But anyway, um, Dave, I have some bold predictions that I wanted to go over before I start to close things out here. Um, did you have any bold predictions for the season before um, before anything? Uh, well, I guess I'll give my two quick ones, uh, and I know that this is you know your last podcast for a little bit. Yeah, uh, so exactly. I'll let you, I'll let you, you, know I'll let you detail them. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll talk about them. Of course, everybody knows, you know, throughout the when I, you know, do eventually do some solo podcasts and maybe we'll bring some people on here eventually. Uh, but I'll give you two really quick uh, to match. Uh, my first one, um, this one is is a hot take, but I don't think it's all that hot. Uh, maybe it is. Uh, I'm going to say that Bryson Stott finishes the year in top three of the NL Rookie of the Year voting. That's my first one. I think he has a monster second half. At least I hope. Uh, and my second hot prediction, or hot take, and this is a good one, Dave. This is a good one. This is the overall team aspect. All right, let's uh, hear it. I'm going to say the Phillies make the National League Championship Series and lose to the Dodgers. Oh, so wow. I'm not only saying they're making the playoffs. I'm saying they're going to go to the National League Championship Series and lose to the Dodgers. Those are my two hot takes. Wow. Dave, I'll, I'll just tell you right off the bat, they're a lot hotter than my takes. But um, no, I mean, that would be great, you know, being able to make it to the NLCS. I mean, that would be the first time making it back to the playoffs since 2011 and being able to go to the NLCS is definitely, definitely a big accomplishment. So I think that definitely uh, puts a little, a little bit more pressure on Dave Dombrowski and uh, Sam Fold in the front office in, in its entirety. Um, to be able to put some more players out there to be able to perform. So um, that, that would be tremendous to see. Um, but my bold predictions before I have my closing statement here is, uh, well, I feel like the Phillies will trade for somebody significant at the trade deadline. Um, but uh, more, moreover, let's talk about some players. So I think the players um, that the Phillies could potentially go after are – a utility man or an infielder, outfielder. Let's talk about maybe a Brandon Drury, Andrew Benatendi, or an Ian Happ. I think they will get one of those three. And I think there's potential to land a starting pitcher in a in an Jose Quintana, Tyler Maley category. So I think the Phillies are going to make a splash at the trade deadline. You know, they're, bo- they're above 500 right now. They, they've been playing some uh, okay baseball. 
They went in, they swept the Marlins, and, you know, they have the series versus the Cubs this weekend, and that should be a good one uh, where they get some wins. So I think the Phillies are sitting in a really good position right now. I think that uh, Brave series to follow will be a big um, telltale sign as to how they approach this trade deadline as well. But I do think that they're going out there and they're going to get a position player and a uh, starter. So that's uh, my bold take right there. Uh, Big splashes uh, for the trade deadline. But um, another thing that I wanted to bring up, I think the Phillies go on a tear in the second half. I don't know when in the second half, but they are going to go on a tear. And they're going to make the postseason for the first time since 2011. So, Dave, you and I having similar ideas, um, me not going into as much detail with the NLCS, but I do think that they make the postseason. I did have thoughts in the back of my head about them potentially going deep into the playoffs, but I didn't want to say anything like that because I, <laughs> who knows what can happen. You know, the game of baseball is just so random and there's so many things that could either go right or go wrong. You know, I think the Phillies, you know, in the second half, you have Bryce Harper coming back, you have Gene Segura, and you have some other smaller pieces and stuff like that. You have the trade deadline coming. So there's a, there's a ton of things that could go the Phillies way right now. And, you know, Zach Eflin not being able to stay healthy, I don't think he's going to be too, too much of a factor this year, uh, you know, in the starting rotation or for the Phillies in terms of pitching. So, uh, I do think that the Phillies have to go out there and get a starter. And um, I do think that the Phillies go out there and try and, uh, you know, close the gap in center field. So, um, those, those are my predictions. I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, it's it, In my opinion... Maybe it's not as bold, um, but the, those are the things that I guess would be considerable predictions because let's let's be honest, over the past um, few years, the Phillies haven't exactly made big splashes in the trade market. And so being able to do this, I think, uh, really puts the cherry on top for the 2022 season. But Dave, before I get into the last uh, bit of the podcast, uh, basically my send off here. Uh, did you want to say anything else? Um, well, yeah, I'll say a couple things. Uh, I'll give you one more hot take, by the way. Uh, Go ahead. I, I think I the hear Phillies it. trade for Luis Castillo from the Reds. That's I think big. it's a perfect fit. They're going to have to battle with some teams for him. Uh, but I think that, uh, I do think that Luis Castillo is a Philly. I And I do think, unfortunately, I think the Phillies do not get as big of a bat as I think we hope. I think they instead go for a bigger name starter. That's that's my uh, opinion. Uh, I don't know, though. We'll see. Uh, I, I just don't think the prospect pool is that big enough uh, to get an Ian Happ or perhaps even get an Andrew Benatendi. And I know you're saying, well, prospect pool, yeah, you're going to need a lot to get Luis Castillo. I get that. Uh, but well, I that just think, thought. <laughs> but I just think the Phillies are going to give more to get somebody like Luis Castillo, I think has higher upside and potential than perhaps an Andrew Benatendi. So, right. Um, I mean, there, there have been times where Ben Attendee's definitely been, um, you know, short on the offensive end, you know, and, and there have been times where we've questioned his offense. And, you know, Brandon Drury, this is kind of just a breakout season for him. We don't know what, what's in the making for him. And then Ian Happ had, you know, a pretty bad season in the first half last year and then broke out in the second half. So a lot of these guys are question marks. That's the only reason I brought them on was because I don't know, um, maybe you don't have to give up a lot in prospects, but who knows? I mean, when players are doing well, teams want prospects and that's just what it comes down to. Um, I, I, 
Honestly, I kind of played it safe, maybe not as bold as people would have liked with Jose Quintana and Tyler Maley, but Maley's been a little bit better as of recently, and Jose Quintana has been solid for the Pirates this year. But Luis Castillo, I mean, if we can go out and get him, I'll take it. But that kind of that kind of makes me question, Dave. Like, what kind of package would we have to uh, give up to get him? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I saw a tweet recently, uh, or it was a quote from Jim Salisbury when he was talking was, pretty much everybody is on the table except for a, uh, a bell and painter. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens uh, with that. Um, I also think, too, I, I like Tyler Maley than I, uh, more than I like Jose Quintana. Uh, definitely. That, that would be my definite choice. Because I also think, uh, like you said, Zach Eflin is done uh, this season and he's not going to re-sign with the Phillies. Um, so, I, I definitely think that a right-handed pitcher is needed. Uh, you know, a lefty would be nice too. Um, but I, I think that um, – I think you get rid of Kyle Gibson and um, Zach Eflin at the end of the season. Uh, so, you know, being able to get a Luis Castillo – to go with Ranger Suarez and then maybe get another lefty in the offseason that might be a little cheaper uh, to replace Eflin and Gibson. You know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, but I like Maley, uh more than I like Quintana. Uh, and of course, Castillo is going to cost a lot. And and we know that. But I, I wanted to give a bold take. I think he's a perfect fit for, for Philadelphia. And uh, we'll definitely see what happens. Right. And another thing uh, that I wanted to consider real quick before I get into anything else is that the trade stock for Castillo definitely went up after that All-Star game. He did very well. Fastball topping off at I believe it was 98-99. Had really good breaking stuff and just overall great performance by Castillo, who's been really good since coming off of the IL. So, um, good to see for the Reds. Um, probably going to get a good package in return. And if the Phillies can manage to do it, you know, kudos to the Phillies for being able to do it. If I'll tell you what, if Dave Dombrowski can pull something like that off, there, there is, there is no way that I would never, I mean, I, I just, I couldn't talk any slander on that guy. I couldn't talk any smack after something like that. So it'll be interesting to see. The other thing I wanted to point out was that, uh, Castillo's contract, according to Spot Track, looks like um, 2023 will be an arbitration uh, season, and then 2024 he will enter free agency. And I believe that's the same with Tyler Maley as well. So uh, they will have an extra year with them, as uh, you know. And, and in terms of arbitration, they'll definitely both get uh, paid a pretty penny. I think Maley gets paid a lot less than Castillo because of their performance. Um, but nevertheless, it'll be interesting to see what happens at the trade deadline. I hope you all enjoy that. Those were our bold predictions. But Dave, um, any closing remarks before I uh, send myself off, I guess, and close us out? Well, uh, definitely, uh, you know, it was a very good podcast today. I think it was a great one to end it on, but definitely a sad one uh, as well. Of course, uh, Dave is going to be departing uh, for a little bit, uh, going to take it a little break, a little hiatus. Uh, but the podcast, uh, is still going to keep, uh, still going to keep going. Um, and we're going to still make episodes, uh, for the first couple will probably be me by myself. Uh, but eventually maybe we'll get our buddy Mark who we had on in a recent podcast and perhaps uh, some other guests joining us, uh, as well. Uh, if you're interested in coming on even for an episode or talking, uh, some Phillies baseball, uh, either shoot us a message on Twitter or if you know us, uh, Dave or I, and in real life, probably me more likely in terms of, you know, Dave's going to step away for a little bit. Uh, it might be a little bit easier to get in contact. Uh, just let me know as well. Our Twitter is at WTT underscore podcast. You can check us out over there. 
Um, and yeah, so go Phillies. Uh, hopefully, uh, they can have a great series against the Cubs. But I also just wanted to say thank you, Dave, uh, for everything. Uh, it's been an amazing ride so far, and I'm sure it will continue uh, eventually down the road uh, in the future. Uh, but just a little goodbye for now in terms of the uh, Warning Track Talk podcast. So over to you, buddy, uh, for your closing statement. Uh, go Phillies. Right. Before I get into my closing statement real quick, I just wanted to mention, Dave, like you said, um, a- anybody who wants to step in for an interim position, um, anybody who maybe wants to get themselves into the uh, broadcasting scene or podcast in general, I mean, we'd love to have you on as long as you have uh, Philly's knowledge and um, you can talk baseball like Dave and I can, or at least to uh, some magnitude that uh, could ring similar then we definitely would love to have you on. Obviously, Dave and I will have to talk um, uh, about uh, whoever candidate is on the table. So, um, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, Definitely don't be afraid to reach out to us on the Twitter or anything like that, whether uh, you know us or not, whether you want to um, contact one of us. uh, If you have any of our information, then uh, definitely do that. But uh, Dave, I guess that brings me on to to my heartfelt um, so long here. And so, I actually ended up putting together a little bit of something for you, Dave, for um, for our fans of the Warning Track Talk podcast. I just felt like it was something that was deserved, deserved for everybody who had listened to us for the longest time. And so here it goes. Sometimes I'm not sure how to put together something that's sentimental, but I figured it was the right thing to do, being that I'll be away for a while. Back when Dave and I were in grade school, we used to call each other over the phone and talk about Phillies baseball. In fact, that's all we'd do. The passion for the game radiated in our hearts, and a podcast was born from that alone. The Warning Track Talk podcast came to be. 102 episodes in and 103 after this one, everything feels quite the same still. Much time has passed, the hiatuses have taken effect, many episodes have been developed, and many posts have been made on Twitter. And well, I guess that's my cue to plug the Warning Track Talk podcast at WTT underscore podcast. But just looking back, having our first ever episode on this podcast has already been over two years ago on March 7th, 2020. The support has always been genuine and for the most part consistent, even if some episodes generated only a few plays in 48 hours. (laughs) I've enjoyed every second of the process from the scripting and recording to the editing and the posting. It's all been a blast. My hope is that I made somebody's life a little better by creating a Phillies outlet riddled with emotion recaps, ballpark food reviews available on many different platforms. I care about you all dearly, and so does Dave. That's why during this approaching time of my absence, he will be taking the bull by the horns and will do a fine job at it. He's always been the one who's been on top of my follies as I tend to fall short of my own expectations and has provided some eye-popping statistics along the way. His criticisms of the team always seem to have reason and have plenty of substance. I'm confident that he will provide plenty of great podcast moments on the mic from rants to raves and Bryson Stott. Now, this isn't goodbye, so take care, stay tuned, and I'll be back soon. I love you all from the bottom of my heart. This is and always will be the Warning Track Talk podcast with your host, Dave and Dave. <laughs>